Michael Parker, you're Professor of Bioethics and Director of the Wellcome Centre for Ethics and Humanities and the Ethos Centre, all at the University of Oxford, and a Fellow of St Cross College, Oxford. Welcome to St Cross College Shorts. It's now about a year since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you describe your everyday research at Oxford before COVID-19? It's hard to remember before COVID-19 in a way. It seems such a long time, um, but uh, I'll try my best. My So my background, I'm a philosopher by background, and I uh, specialise in ethics. And I'm interested in the ethical issues or ethical aspects of development, in particular in, in, uh, in global health and in various new technologies in relation to medicine, particularly genomics and data-driven science. Uh, and I, I'm one of the things I'm interested in is, is looking at those issues um, as they arise in, in the real world for real people. So I'm interested in moral problems that arise for, for example, scientists at the cutting edge of research in genetics, say, or in global health around the world. Maybe, maybe uh, I have collaborative partnerships with partners in Africa and Southeast Asia. So what's it like to be a researcher in Ghana, engaged in an, in an international collaborative research project, what are the kind of problems? What are the kind of things that you worry about uh, from a moral perspective in those kind of networks? So that's that's one aspect. And I suppose the other thing, which is a bit more thinking as a as an academic or as a philosopher, is I'm interested in the ways in which our discipline, so the disciplines in broadly speaking in the humanities, so philosophy, and I'm also interested in history, how our disciplines might need to change, might need to be rethought in a, for us to be, uh, for them to be adequate to engage with the kinds of ways in which the world's being changed by neuroscience, by genomics, by global connectedness, by data science, and so on. So what does it mean for us as what does it mean to do ethics now in the world as, as it, as it, as it uh, is currently and changing and um and it strikes me that those are really interesting questions because obviously all of the developments i've mentioned raise important questions not only about ethics but also about what it means to be what it means to be human uh, and i the way i go about it in practice in my work is i i i'm not and sort of the usual kind of philosopher i suppose in this sense i tried my best to get to embed my work as closely as i can in the day-to-day -day work of science and medicine and that's for two reasons, really. One is that um, I think that context really matters when I mean, you're trying to understand ethical issues. So uh, so that's one reason for getting close to practice. And the other is I think it's a good place to get uh, kind of early warning in some ways of cutting edge problems and to be really at the at the forefront of, of where these difficult moral problems are arising in novel combinations. So that's that's what I do. So global health and genomics. Uh, what I was working on before before I ended up in COVID, and obviously there's a there's a link there. So how did that change when the pandemic took hold? Yeah, to, that's a, that's an interesting question too. I think to, so. One immediate experience was I. I so this is a sort of anecdote, really. I was sitting in my office. I, I work in the Big Data Institute, which is up on uh, in Headington, um, in on the Old Road campus, and I was in my office in a meeting one day with with two of our uh, administrators talking about budgets, and two uh, infectious disease researchers started knocking on my door and looking through my glass window in a very sort of excited way and sort of essentially insisting that I came and spoke to them immediately. And these were two people. One of them was Professor Christoph Fraser, who's in a group called the Pathogen Dynamics Group in, in the Big Data Institute. And they were very excited because they had developed an idea for a, uh, a mobile phone app which could be used in contact tracing. And, and their view was that 
traditional contact. These were the early days of COVID, certainly in the UK. So I'm talking about February now, really. Um, their, their view was that contact tracing, the usual kind of contact tracing, which is, you know, going around and knocking on people's doors and asking them who they've been in contact with, was just going to be too slow for this new this new disease that was emerging emerging in, in East Asia. And that the only way we were going to deal with it and uh, you know, in a way that was speedy, sufficiently speedy, would be through some sort of digital contact tracing. So they got an idea of how to do that. And, you know, within kind of an hour of having the thought, they they recognized there were ethical issues. So they got me involved in that. And I spent quite a lot of, I essentially dropped everything else and worked on that for a for a while and then got more involved in the COVID work because of I, I was approached to, to be a member of the UK government's uh, scientific advisory group on emergencies, SAGE. So my life tra- changed pretty dramatically, possibly a bit earlier than most people in the UK. So sort of February time, really, it, it sort of started started happening. Can you say a bit more about how you became a member of SAGE? So to clarify, it's the UK government's scientific advisory group for emergencies. Yeah, that's right. So there are two. So I can tell you the story about how I got involved, which I, I will do. But there's an interesting question about why would someone would approach someone like me, and I have no. I I've got a couple of thoughts about that, but I, I don't really know. Um, I for the last ten years or so, arising out of the the kinds of research I mentioned earlier, I've been working very closely in something called the uh, the Hundred Thousand Genomes Project, which is uh, genomics. And it's a big initiative by the UK government, by the UK health system, and and uh, some funding from the government to build up uh, genomic the genomic testing and genomic research in the context of the NHS. So I've been doing that for about ten years, and that's a that's an initiative which does have quite close links with Department of Health and 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 so on. So I knew I knew I know some people in the Department of Health and I know some some of the people who are involved in policy making around science and technology. Um, so my guess is that possibly that may be one of the reasons I was in, in, invited. The other is I, I chaired a two year working party working group for the Nuffield uh, Council on Bioethics, which led to the publication of a, a report on the ethical issues in researching global health emergencies in in January this year. So again, that 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 publication date was agreed two years ago, but turned out to be very timely. So my guess is that those two things are the the reason I was asked. The way it actually happened was I had a call on my mobile phone on a Sunday afternoon. I think it was. I was sitting uh, in my in my uh, in my living room, and the phone rang with one of those numbers, and you think, oh, is this going to be a kind of prankster call or something I didn't recognize the number I answered the phone and it was Patrick uh, Sir Patrick Valance on the other end um asking me you know whether I'd be there essentially this was so that I think Sage has been around for a long time Sage is a group that that responds to emergencies of, of a range of different kinds so the Grenfell Tower disaster for example was something that they 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 were involved in uh responding to so this was, but this was the COVID version. The COVID version, I think, had been around since early in the year, um, and some big decisions had been made around the initial kind of decisions about lockdown and so on. And I think they'd recognised early on that ethics was a component that was that had been missing. I, I don't know if I'm the first person to have been an ethicist to be on Sage, but yeah, I might. I think I may well be. So I think they'd recognised the need for some ethics input, and someone had told them that I was someone to speak to. So I got this call and agreed. And then uh, I think I, I, then I was sort of in, you know, up to speed very quickly. Sort of, you know, several meetings a week, um, all of course on on uh, on online. So that's kind of how it happened. But uh, and I, that's the kind of story I think behind why it, why I was invited. How do you see the role of an ethicist on a scientific advisory group like Sage? 
That, that is a very good question. So firstly, there's a question what they were expecting of me. And obviously someone else would can answer that question. I, I, I can't really, but it's the scientific, the SAGE is, is very much, as you say, it's a scientific advisory group. So it, it doesn't uh, recommend policy. It doesn't say you should be doing this or that. It basically says from a scientific perspective, these are a range of consider, this is a range of considerations that are going to be relevant to any decision, scientific considerations to do with, for example, you know, levels of infectiousness, um, prevalence of the disease in the community, what people's behavior looks like now and, and how what what kind of predictions might be made about future behavior. So it's a very scientific group and its advice to the government is 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 scientific. So you know, then the question is, why is an ethicist in that space? Because so I, I initially took my my role to be that my role was essentially to advise SAGE rather than advising the government. So I would be saying, these are some things that you're talking about as scientists, which look to me like they have an ethical component to them and, um, and to sort of foster discussion on those topics within those meetings. And I have to say, everyone has been very receptive, and we've had some very good discussions. But actually, over time, um, I've managed to find a way of incorporating bits of ethical advice into the advice to government. So and essentially, I've taken the same approach as the scientists have. I've tried to highlight where I think there are ethical considerations that are relevant to policy decisions. And I've, I'm not in a position, I wasn't, it was pretty clear that my role was not to kind of recommend policies, but to say, you know, here are a couple of policies that you might want to consider, and these are the ethical implications of doing one or the other. Uh, these are the things that are that are relevant considerations to that. So, and that, so I've sort of seen myself as a far, partly a raising awareness of ethical issues, it's partly helping to provide an analysis of those issues and what the, what they mean, what the, what the what the problem is, and then partly sort of exploring and setting out the implications of 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 different competing courses of action and of course ultimately the decisions and the moral responsibility lies with lies with um parliament or with or with ministers rather than me but i felt you know there is a sort of moral role for the for me as well as an advisor and and obviously for others to speak up and say this is this is something that i think is a moral problem and then it's up to others to decide what they what they do as a result of that advice what have the challenges been and the opportunities presented to you one of the challenges has been trying, it's a bit like a dinner party. And if you're standing at a dinner party, you're at a dinner party, you're a bit late to arrive and there are, everyone's sort of standing in groups talking to each other. And in this case, they're talking about science, very high tech, scientific, you know, very sophisticated science. And it's kind of trying to look for an opportunity to enter into the conversation as you would at, at a party, you know, without being pushy. So one of the challenges at the beginning was to try and identify, listen really, really carefully. I'm not a scientist. I do have science A levels, but... I, um, but I'm not a scientist, so trying to listen very carefully and get a sense of the language, a bit like being a sort of anthropologist, I suppose, and try to get a get a sense of when it when there are questions that that look like the sorts of things I can contribute to, and look and and what and work out the kind of conventions really, you know, what how do, how might one speak in these kind of contexts? So there was a lot of that at the beginning, and then sort of you know putting my foot in it on occasion, sort of speaking when it clearly you know that wasn't the right time, and so on, sort of getting used to making mistakes. So that was that was you know, and and 
as I say, everyone has been very welcoming and the things I've said have always been taken very seriously so that the, I needn't perhaps have worried as much as I did. But I did see it as a as an experiment in the, or, a, or a, a need for sort of cultural anthropology, really. I did sort of get it. That's how I approached it. And I think I've made a... But, and the opportunities, look, you know, this is... There are personal opportunities here, which is I think my experience of COVID-19 and the pandemic has been different perhaps to many other people, certainly to the people around me, because I'm, I'm in the room hearing the decisions, hearing the discussion of the... The evidence and recognizing and seeing some of the uncertainties and, and knowing that you know that they exist and so on so i think my personal experience has been enhanced enriched as it were as a person but also i've been in a room where i've been able to speak you know directly to government and to senior scientists and say and 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 say you know something about the kind of what i think are important ethical questions and you know rather than shouting at newsnight on tv i've actually been able to I haven't done any shouting, but I've uh, had the opportunity at least to raise these issues and say, you know, how do you how do you think these might relate to policy decisions that you're considering? So that's a privilege, of course, to be asked. You've been involved in the development of the National Health Service COVID contact tracing app. What was your role in that? So as I mentioned earlier, in a way, that's the thing that got me uh, into thinking about COVID in, a, in an academic way at the very beginning. So I've do, I'm doing less of that now. In fact, I'm doing nothing on that really, apart from in my, mem- as, my as a member of Sage, I you know hear presentations about how the app's going, and I've got a sense of of how it's working in the country, as it were. But I don't do much academically on it. But yeah, in the beginning, in February, I, that was I was very intensely working on, on that. I was working with Christoph Fraser and uh, David Bonsall's group while they developed the science, and I was sitting in rooms with them while they were sort of doing all these you know, interesting calculations about about how this app might work and, you know, very involved in the ethical discussions. And as we published a couple of papers, we published a paper in science, which sort of showed that the digital technology of this kind could make a difference to in the context of a pandemic. And then we published, and I, I, had, I had the opportunity to write into that paper some of the ethical questions that are important, that I thought were important. And then we published a paper in, in another journal, which was specifically on the ethics. And at that point, really, the world kind of changed overnight because I was I did multiple interviews for New York Times, BBC, you know, all the various radio, I was on the Today programme, you know, lots of, lots of media interest. And it essentially... There was a very interesting discussion which emerged, which I think is is still very interesting, which is to what extent and when are would we be willing for our current approaches to privacy to to change? So, you know, and I I think I think, you know, we're in the context of a public health emergency, there's this question and which arises out of the fact that a solution to the the COVID-19 pandemic is essentially going to have to be a collective one. It's about people working together as a society or at smaller levels in particular venues and so on that's the only way that the, the, the pandemic certainly when there's no vaccine or treatment effective treatment it's the only way it can be dealt with so there's a question about solidarity and some of those questions about solidarity are questions about information and data and i think there's, there was a lot of interesting discussion i think in the early days about about those kind of questions the limits the appropriate limits of privacy within the context of a recognition that we all needed to work together to solve this problem and i've and i've done lots of that i personally think that the mobile phone app was it has worked to some extent in this pandemic but really it's it's the lessons learned are really more appropriate for future for the future i think it's gonna be really interesting to think about digital technologies and infectious disease in the future not only in the uk in, in around the, around the world for example in low middle income countries i think there's a lot of potential there for thinking about the ethics of that Michael Parker, you've given us a lot of new knowledge about uh, the role of ethics in, in, in this pandemic. Thank you so much for taking part. Thank you very much for asking me.